1: From the Milton Metz studio and IU's radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm Bob Salzberg from the WFIU-WTIU news team, and this week we're talking to IU experts about recent events between the United States and Iran and in, that uh, occurred in Iraq uh, and how they've affected the country's relationships and potentially the world. My co-host today is one of our newest reporters here at WFIU-WTIU, George Hale. George spent eight years as a reporter and editor in the Middle East. We'll be talking with three very distinguished um, guests today, um, and very happy to, to welcome them here. Faisal Istrabadi is the director of Indiana University's Center for the Study of, of the Middle East. He's a professor of practice. Lee Feinstein is Dean of the Indiana University Hamilton Luger School of Global and International Affairs. And Hussein Benai is Assistant Professor in the School of Global and International Studies Affiliate and Study of Global Change. If you have questions or comments, you can contact us at uh, on phone at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. And you can also send us questions for the show at news at indiana org. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So thank you all for being here. It's uh, been uh, about a week and a half since this all really started to, to percolate. So you know, in that week and a half, have we stepped back from the brink of a really potential serious situation? You know, where where are we now? What, what how has that week progressed? And let's start with Doctor Estrabadi.
2: Well, uh, I think in the sort of uh, extreme immediate term phase, uh, I think we have stepped back. The Iranians, whether intentionally or not, have. Uh, sort of de-escalated, whether they took their best shot at the United States and missed or, as some analysts are suggesting, didn't intend to cause casualties. Um, In any event, there's been a de-escalation in the the immediate short term. But I can't quite imagine that uh, they are satisfied that there's been essentially only property damage in response to the killing of Major General Qasem Soleimani either the Iranians as a government or the uh, the uh, Revolutionary Guard Corps itself. So I suspect they will choose a time and place of their own to strike back, whether directly or through <clears throat> intermediaries. So I don't think it's over. But in the immediate term, I think we are in a de-escalatory phase. OK. And Professor Benay?
3: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think – Uh, We have avoided a direct shooting war between Iran and the United States, which was what many had feared immediately. But I don't think the conflict between the United States and Iran um, has uh, fundamentally changed. In fact, I think the killing of Soleimani um, has raised the stakes. uh, for there to be down the road uh, uh, some sort of uh, tit for tat again in the future. And Iranians are biding their time for now. But I think the uh, uh, the risk of uh, conflict at the moment the Iranians have calculated is not um, worth their trouble uh, with this administration especially that seems to have responded in a very impulsive way. And uh, we'll see what they'll do in the future. Um, but all indications are that uh, the relationship has been put on a really much more conflict-prone track um, uh, moving on to the future.
1: And uh, Dean Lee Feinstein, you've been a member. You've been in the State Department before, and you were an ambassador in Poland. So you, you uh, have been on the international scene for quite a while. You know, what, what do you make of what's going on in the last eight or nine days?
4: Well, first, I would say, just to uh, reinforce what my colleagues uh have been saying it it 's a pause, uh, but iran is not is not standing down. Uh, there are signs of restraint you know this morning there was some information that actually there were some American casualties um, hopefully that won 't change the picture and and that we 're in a, in a position of not escalation but it 's a dangerous situation there are uh, uh, and Iran can be expected to uh, follow policies and behave as it has in the past. Uh, And the things to look out for are different kinds of responses. It could be cyber. It could be uh, targeting of uh, U.S. allies. It could be um, indirect attacks by Iran proxies against uh, American troops. Uh, So, uh, you know, but you asked kind of a diplomatic question, and the diplomatic question is, Uh, What, if any, um, effort is going to be made to find some kind of a diplomatic off-ramp to get away from uh, the danger of an escalatory spiral and into a place where, uh, from the U.S. perspective, uh, steps can be taken that are more effective to affect Iran's behavior, whether it's on the nuclear front or whether it's regionally? Mm -hmm. George?
5: Yeah, actually, so – I want to talk about the reports that uh, we've seen that there actually were some injuries uh, after that attack on uh, the Ayn Assad base. Um, the U.S. initially said that there weren't any, and I'm wondering from a, possibly for, more for Dean than, than the others just from your background as a diplomat, um, why were those deaths or injuries perhaps kept under wraps, and do you think that's part of why we might have avoided uh, more of a, what you call an allied shooting war?
4: I mean, it's hard to say, and I wouldn't want to speculate as to why. And, you know, information in a period of conflict is always very difficult to get. So I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, put that much intentionality uh, around that necessarily. It's just hard to say. But uh, clearly, um, you know, despite the um, uh, the nature of this presidency, uh uh, there, there has been an effort at the Defense Department and elsewhere at the State Department to a certain extent in places the State Department to try to de-escalate. Uh, and I think also this has been supported by the very uh, strong voices in Congress which have been uh, alarmed about uh, the lack of consultation, uh, the lack of sharing of information about uh, what took place. Uh, which has driven the Congress uh, now um, to uh, uh, pass in the House and now very soon it looks like in the Senate uh, a resolution uh, stating very clearly that the president would need to seek uh, congressional approval uh, to take um, uh, uh, military action against uh, Iran except in cases of of self-defense. I think this has also had an effect on uh, the president uh, in, in, uh, in de escalating
1: mm-hmm. So this has been, I mean, a very difficult time. And, you know, you've got it, – it's pretty complex. And you have the United States. You have Iran. They're in this direct conflict. But it's happening on Iraqi soil. So, uh, you know, I wanted to ask uh, Mr. Istrabadi about that. I mean, you were the principal legal drafter of the Iraqi interim constitution in t- 2004 very knowledgeable about that region, very uh, an expert in that area. What's the significance of this happening in Iraq right now, and how does that sort of change the dynamics?
2: Uh, Well, I taught a course on international law at at the Hamilton Lugar School, um, and I sort of wish these events had happened a little earlier, because this would have been a wonderful examination (laughs) question. to try to sort out the international legal issues, which are a mess, as well as some domestic legal issues, which... Uh, but it's a uh, it's it's a it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a remarkable dynamic actually because the uh, um, um, uh, you know there's a caricature by in, in one of the Iraqi publications of the Iraqi prime minister sitting there and he's got two telephones and he's got. You know, one is connected to Iran, the other is connected to the United States, and each one is informing him that uh, they're taking military action against the other. And he says, oh, well, please go ahead, do what you have to do. I mean, so it's, it perfectly encapsulates the image of the Iraqi government as being totally impotent uh, over its own uh, uh, territory now. This is a government that the United States is supposed to be allied with, and for that matter, that Iran regards as uh, an ally as well. It's an interesting dynamic by itself. Um, and yet both governments are doing everything they can to make precisely the point that the demonstrators on the streets of Baghdad and Iraq's southern cities have been making for the last three months, which is that it's an incompetent, inept, and uh, and corrupt government incapable of governing uh, Iraq. So the actions of two states, each of which claims to be an ally of the government of Iraq, uh, in fact undermine the legitimacy of the Iraqi government, which is sitting as a spectator. It might as well be happening somewhere else, and yet it's all occurring on uh, on Iraqi soil. It's a uh, and that well, I haven't even begun to talk about the fact that there are actors within the government of Iraq who who. Who do, in, who, who do indeed participate in the Iraqi government, but that also have a foot outside the government. So part of the time, they're governmental actors, and part of the time, they're non-state actors. Uh, and they have a major role in, 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 in all of this. It's sort of the, the Hezbollah model in, in Lebanon. We unfortunately have the same model in, in Iraq. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a very complicated uh, mess. Um, but uh, in any event, the actions of all parties have undermined uh, the the government in, in Baghdad, um, it, to what end is not clear. Mm-hmm.
1: And as far as Iran is concerned, I mean, they did uh, – I think uh, the dean said they, they haven't – they didn't stand down. But, you know, wh- what do you think is going on in the government in, in Iran right now?
3: Well, that's a very good question. I think they were initially shocked that this had taken place, especially since – Asim Soleimani's movements were not particularly um, done in secret In this, uh, at, at, at this point. They thought that Qulay Soleimani had achieved uh, a level of respect, especially from those eyes from the sky and um, spies on the ground um, who had kind of seen his movements, that when he's going to Baghdad or places in plain sight, uh, apparently he was on a, a commercial passenger just before then, um, that uh, uh, his movements would not be... Uh, something that they would have to worry about. The fact that he was killed in the manner that he was killed outside of Baghdad airport, uh, uh, the international airport in in Baghdad, was shocking to them, just as it was shocking, I think, to many um, uh, uh, national security uh, observers in the United States and elsewhere. Um, And I think the period of mourning that we saw in Iran really represented that, that it wasn't just your diehard supporters of the regime pouring out, trying to demonstrate Um, that uh, they felt aggrieved by this action. But many ordinary Iranians as well who have no uh, love for this regime inside Iran who really wanted to um, register that this kind of arbitrary action by the United States was short-sighted, was bound to play in the hands, uh, hands of uh, their oppressors in Iran, um, and so that is still playing out. And we see just a you know few days later, people pouring out to the streets after the shootdown of the um, Ukrainian um, airliner, uh, protesting the government um, uh, yet again. So the, uh, the situation in Iran is very much in flux. Um, I think one thing that the Iranians did not saw uh, did not see coming was that the U.S. would act in such an impulsive way against their top commander. Mm-hmm. Um, And uh, they're still probably calculating what to do um, uh, next. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, While Hussein was speaking, it it reminded me uh, that uh, you had a similar reaction in Iraq, not to the death of Qasem Soleimani, but you have to remember that the United States uh, attacked a convoy at the Baghdad International Airport. In the same car as Qasem Soleimani is a senior Iraqi security official who is an official of the state, but also one of these militia leaders, Um, but in any event was a senior Iraqi security official with whom senior officers of the uh, U.S. armed forces had coordinated in the fight in Iraq against ISIL. So there are sort of these, these layers of connection, and you had very much of a similar response in Iraq, not necessarily so much that this particular individual, uh, Abu al was that popular necessarily, but the notion of a senior Iraqi uh, security official being killed by an ally uh, on Iraqi soil was shocking. I read a long
1: story about that in the New York Times last week, and it was, uh, it was fascinating to read about this run-up. To everything so Dean how um, you know how does this play out politically now? you've got uh you know what everything's political these days, it seems like
4: well, you know, I don't know of uh many critics of the killing who mourn the loss of Soleimani. Uh, I think that's the first thing that needs right. to be said um, you know. There's, there's the diplomacy and then there's the politics. And the diplomacy is, is important, and it's also uh, driven by and affects the politics. So, you know, there's a question about the legality of, of this and uh, the question of imminence, and I'd say more fundamentally, why now? Why then? Why did this happen then? This is directly related to the politics because uh, members of Congress were asking why, and there was a closed-door briefing, and you had um, um, members uh, from both parties expressing a real outrage that as members of Congress, they were not being given information that they ought to have given their constitutional uh, roles. Um, and, um, you know, so, uh, you know, the question is, is this good policy? And that's been kind of the line of the, of the uh, political attacks as well. Um, you know, there were probably other ways— There were certainly other ways to affect uh, Iran's behavior, to deter Iran. Um, And as my colleagues were saying, there were some developments on the ground which were uh, kind of favorable to the developments the United States were hoping to see in terms of uh, criticism of Iran's role uh, in Iraq and, of course, criticism of the regime in Iran itself. Um, Relations with Iraq were already very strained, and this certainly did not did not help, um, and um, President Trump ran on um, uh, ending endless wars, and we've now been forced to send more uh, troops uh, to Iraq. And I think what uh, almost every candidate can agree, and the incumbent president is, we don't need another war in the Middle East. You know, there are a lot of other things happening globally: North Korea. Venezuela, and of course, these enduring and long-term and very complex challenges from China uh, and Russia. And then the, fi- the final point is, is just, uh, uh, what does this mean for uh, Iran's nuclear ambitions and nuclear capacities? And it's not at all clear. In fact, it's, it seems to me will have exactly the opposite effect I I think Iran, just to be clear, I think Iran is still far from a nuclear capability, has many, many hurdles, and I I, I don't want to overstate the danger. But to the extent that the JCPOA, the the, nuclear deal that uh, was agreed um, with the uh, P5 uh, plus one, uh, the uh, permanent members of the Security Council, uh, plus the European Union during the Obama administration, moved Iran farther away from a nuclear weapon. The policy of maximum pressure that the, uh, that the um, Trump administration has applied has done just the opposite. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I think uh, just to add to what Dean Feinstein um, was saying, I think uh, we are paying a heavy price of learning just why the Obama administration achieved a nuclear deal with Iran in the manner that it did why it isolated all these other regional issues that were going to be messy, Iran's role in Iraq, in Syria, um, the role of General Qasem Soleimani in the region writ large. There was a reason why these things were isolated outside of the uh, a nuclear um, framework uh, for negotiations. And we're finding out why. And the uh, Trump administration is demonstrating just how messy, how short-sighted, and how self-defeating it could be if you introduce these other elements and use them as bargaining chips to get Iran to have a more stringent set of restrictions placed on its nuclear program. Mm -hmm. And I think the damage that this has done in the long run when it comes to that portfolio is going to be profound. Iran announced uh, just days after Soleimani's assassination that it was ending its last technical um, cooperation under the terms of JCPOA, uh, meaning that lifting the limits on enrichment levels, um, which could open it up in the future to enriching to close to levels that were... um, uh, troubling and alarming to the international community. And that's been a direct um, result of, of, of this killing. Um, but also, I think, uh, just to uh, add in terms of the decision-making, I think the policy of this administration has almost been to shoot first and then aim later. And the Iranians are confused about this as well. It seems like the shock that they're dealing with has to do with uh, uh, coming to terms with the notion that this administration actually didn't know how significant Soleimani's killing would be. And all the allies of the United States have come to grips with that as well. And in a very bizarre way, this may have been the reason why Iran's response was so um, restrained. uh, in the first place because they see it as almost kind of like a comical uh, mistake that only this president um, could make. Who would, who would Soleimani compare to in the U.S.? Well, there's been a lot of comparisons uh, flattered about. I'm, I'm, I don't want to make these analogies too closely but okay. people have said, you know, he's kind of like a General MacArthur to the Islamic Republic in terms of its his internal stature. He certainly doesn't hold that stature in Iranian society amongst everyday Iranians. Mm-hmm. But in terms of his strategic importance, he 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 would be the equivalent of a head of CENTCOM um, uh, in the region for Iran. Uh, He would be the equivalent of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Um, Some people have said he's the number two most important person in the Islamic Republic pecking order. Um, And uh, all of those things are true, but you have to kind of separate uh, when it comes to these analogies, the difference between the government of Iran and the Islamic Republic and the Iranian society who have their own set of troubles with Qasem Soleimani.
2: One of the questions that uh, I don't think is was addressed by the administration prior to acting is what is the strategic benefit to the United States uh, in doing this and in doing this now and in doing this now in Iraq. Um, and so while, you know, uh, it's dangerous to make predictions about what's going to happen when you're actually going through the events, which we still very much I think are, but right now, it doesn't look like the United States has a, has 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 gained a strategic advantage by by undertaking uh, this action. It must have felt good, as as Lee said. No one is is shedding tears uh, outside. I suppose, you know, the Iranian uh, officialdom and his family, of course. Uh, but, but for the rest of us, none of us is shedding uh, a tear for his death. But, uh, but these questions haven't been answered and they don't seem to have been considered. Um, and that's really the only reason to do anything, in, in my view, when I was a diplomat. It was the only reason to do anything on the international stage is to gain some advantage. Um, um, and I, I just don't see it's quite the opposite. As Hussein said, the Gulf states and Israel – Uh, had been advocating a confrontation between the United States and Iran. But as soon as this action was taken, even the Israeli government, even the government of Saudi Arabia, even the government of the United Arab Emirates all pulled back and said, we had nothing to do with this. And and the Arab states, in any event, all of a sudden, who had been advocating a confrontation with Iran, began saying, whoops, let's de-escalate, which tells me their initial reaction to this is exactly as Hussein described it, that this was an oopsie. Mm -hmm. Dean, you seem like
1: you wanted to say something before I cut in. So. I'm always ready to say something. <laughs> so. um,
4: yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, I just wanted to say Ir- Iran is in no position to wage war and doesn't want to wage war. It's, it's, its domestic situation, as my colleagues uh, can explain in, 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 in great depth, is very serious. This maximum pressure policy has contributed to a decline in Iran's uh, uh, economy of about ten percent over the last year. Um, uh, so, uh, but you know, the question really is, you know, what now? Uh, so, it, it 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 may have been unwise policy. It, I think at this table we agree. I think most people agree it was unwise policy. But uh, what do you do? And so, this is where you are. What what what's next? And how do you how do you assure not only the situation doesn't get worse, but maybe what can you do now? since it was a surprise, uh, uh, to take advantage of that. And, um, you know, uh, it's difficult, honestly. Uh, But um, what about the nuclear agreement? Mm -hmm. Um, The Europeans are desperately trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube. I think it's going to be very difficult. Um, But I do think probably some effort needs to be made to try to put it it back together. With respect to the nuclear agreement, one of the interesting things is that Iran has— not severed its relationship uh, with the um, International Atomic Energy Agency, with the nuclear monitors of the agreement, and it has not um, withdrawn from uh, the Nuclear Nonproliferation Treaty. If it had done those two things, those would have been very serious and uh, a- a alarming moves. They may still do those, but as we can remember in the Iraq War, when the inspectors got kicked out, that triggered uh, an international response. And so far, Iran has been careful uh, not to do it. But can you go back to uh, some kind of a JCPOA uh, and, or some kind of a process? You know, the phrase is, if you don't have peace, you need a process. Some kind of process <laughs> that gets some kind of a conversation and a negotiation going. And, of course, I just wanted to say one further thing about uh, Professor Benai's point about this agreement. Arms control is not a panacea. Mm-hmm. It can't solve all problems. And if you try to make it solve all problems, it will fail. Arms control exists to buy time. Buying time is a good thing. The more time you can buy, the better. So with respect to the JCPOA, to the extent that it was limited, uh, the big limitations were that it was itself time-limited. And that is that is probably an area, if you're going to get back to some kind of a nuclear agreement, where you probably have to extend some of, the, some, of the guy, some of the deadlines, as well as probably deal with the issue of uh, ballistic missiles. All
1: right. We're going to have to take a breath here and uh, take a short break. You're listening to Noon Edition as we talk about the relationships between the United States and Iran and what's going on you know, on the soil in Iraq uh, with three um, great guests from Indiana University. I'll reintroduce them after we come back after this break. You're listening to Noon Edition.
0: From the Milton Met studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. WFIU News covers south-central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIUNews. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live, and you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe now at WFIUNews.org.
1: Yes. Welcome back. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from WFIU and WTIU. I'm here with George Hale today, who's my co-host. We have three guests in the studio, Faisal Istrabadi, director of the Indiana University Center for the Study of the Middle East and professor of practice at IU. Uh, Lee, Lee Feinstein, the dean of the Indiana University Hamilton Lugar School of Global and International Affairs. And Hussein Banai, an assistant professor in the School of Global and International S- Studies affiliate, Study of Global Change. You can follow us uh, on Twitter at Noon Edition or you can join us on the air by calling 812 811 or toll free at one 877 Two eight five nine three four eight. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indiana public media So, George.
5: So yeah, well, well, not many in the U.S. are mourning Soleimani. Perhaps it seems like that's not quite the case in in Iran. And I'm wondering, uh, Professor Benay, you compared him to Akhassim uh, Soleimani to General MacArthur. I'm wondering um, how much does his role in uh, Iran his uh, prestige in Iran, been related to his fight and his role in the fight against ISIS. And how much uh, do you think his death will affect um, the fight against ISIS uh, throughout the region, basically? And and is his role uh, against ISIS overblown in Iran, perhaps? Or is is he actually that important?
3: That's a very good question. I think his legend actually is singularly linked to his um, successes against ISIS, rooting out ISIS. Uh, just from the outskirts of uh, Mosul um, in Iraq. Uh, the government inside Iran built a great propaganda machine around Soleimani uh, at that point. He was really not well known prior to that campaign. He was known as a, as a kind of the uh, commander of the Quds Force, the elite uh, unit inside Iran's Revolutionary Guards. Um, but really not loved or seen as a nationalist figure. He was seen as someone who was expanding Iran's – to many ordinary Iranians, really nefar- nefarious um, uh, influence throughout the region, exporting the revolution um, from you know, Iran all the way to the eastern shores of the Mediterranean. Um, In many protests uh, prior to his um, legend rising, um, many Iranians would chant slogans against the Revolutionary Guards for caring more about people in the Gaza Strip and in in southern Lebanon than they did about their own people. And they had Soleimani in mind when they chanted those things. All of that changed when Soleimani successfully uh, managed to, as it were, in the minds of many Iranians, clean up the mess that was left behind by the United States um, in the region. Um, And uh, uh, as I said, uh, this uh, was in no small part owing to the propaganda machine around him as well. He was a person who would do selfies with soldiers in the front lines. But also in the West, he had achieved the status of a shadowy commander. The New Yorker did a profile of him that kind of – compared him to this, you know, uh, omniscient uh, uh, present in the region that no one could really pin down, but was really running the shows. I think it was over-exaggerated, that that account of him. Um, But all of that happened really in the uh, trail of destruction um, that was left behind uh, in these collapsed states at the heart of the Middle East, Um, Iraq, Syria. Um, parts of of Lebanon, especially under Hezbollah um, uh, control. And so Soleimani kind of took advantage of this and and built his legend up. But outside of that, he really does not have that stature, as I mentioned, of a General MacArthur with the Iranian public. Um, The regime wanted to portray him that way. Mm I wanted to play
1: a short clip that uh, we have. This was from the BBC this morning. It was um, journalist Martin Patience talking about – Uh, Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Khamenei, who uh, was talking at Friday prayers.
6: Well, the very fact that he's uh, speaking of Friday prayers, I think, is an indication of the pressure that he's under uh, internationally but as well as domestically. He said that America, that Iran's attack on American targets inside Iran, he said that that was a day of God. He also went on to say uh, that Iran has the power to slap the face of an arrogant power. That, of course, is a reference to America. I think, interestingly, he also addressed some of the anger inside Iran. There's been a huge amount of anger inside Iran, because many Iranians feel that the government lied to them after they shot down that Ukrainian passenger jet. But the Iran Supreme Leader, he said uh, that Iran's enemies, again, that's a reference to America, Britain, as well as Israel, was using that to weaken, as he said, Iran's revolutionary guards. So it was A defiant message, I think, designed for domestic consumption. Iran remains under enormous international pressure. American sanctions are hammering the country's economy. And Iran's supreme leader, the political and religious authority of that country, felt that he needed to come out and directly address the Iranian people.
1: So I wanted to get a reaction from the three of you on that, if we could unpack this a little bit. Hussain, you want to start? Yeah, sure.
3: I, I Well, I listened to the Supreme Leader's speech this morning, and nothing I heard was that different from what he usually um, spouts when he gets behind a um, tribune like that. Uh, but this time around, he wanted to focus the attention, as he always does when he speaks publicly, on why it is that Iran or the Islamic Republic of Iran is the center of the resistance to American imperial arrogance, as he calls it. Quote unquote. And he wanted to focus the attention on that. I was especially interested in what the reaction would be um, uh, from the public to that speech. And it was very interesting that everyone was noting just how silent he was on the mistake of shooting down the Ukrainian airliner. And you could see the level of anger go up, especially on social media and in the commentary, people calling into uh, television shows that were broadcasting his speech live. And I think that speaks to um, where the Supreme Leader has always been. Uh, He believes that uh, anything that Iran does in the region is justified because it is an act of resistance to the United States and that if people domestically have issues with the way in which the government is repressing um, uh, uh, the public or – or even killing and maiming them, well, tough, because uh, uh, in aggregate, this is good for the regime, this is good for Islam, and everyone should keep quiet, because otherwise, look at the other countries in the region and look at where they are. At least we have a government, and um, uh, we are in one piece, and uh, uh, in fact, you should be grateful. And he noted this, I mean, very controversially, he said that one of the uh, mothers of um, the victims of that Ukrainian airliner had written to him and thanked him. Uh, for standing firm and for not letting his resolve be shaken in the aftermath of this and that she's got her eyes on the uh, a main goal just as he does. Um, and uh, and clearly this is something that is, is going to feed into the protests on the streets in the coming week again.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: All right. Well, I think they're <clears throat> very much in survival mode. I, I, I think that if it's true, I mean, the, 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 the a positive case for the administration's action would be, uh, and it's being made now and has been being made over the days, a deterrence that that this action now deters Iran from its bad uh, acts. I don't quite believe that that's the case, but that that's that that's going to work out that way. One thing I think that uh, Dean Feinstein said is that uh, uh, iran can 't go to war uh, with the United States and that 's obviously true they 're not going to field you know tanks and, and, and troops and brigades and so on, but they can engage in in asymmetric uh, warfare and and that I think is where their response is going to be um, the uh, The brand of of Iran say in in, in countries. I can't speak to the domestic situation in which Professor Benay is is an expert. But in countries outside, say in Iraq, in Syria, in Lebanon, the Iranian brand has been tarnished. Um, The sort of uh, juggernaut. uh, I mean, if you consider where Iran was in 1979 at the time of the Iranian revolution, a pariah state completely isolated in the region, it's not that anymore. It has influence from Afghanistan, uh, Virtually to the Atlantic Ocean, uh, in 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 terms of non-state actors along the way, as well as some states along the way, Um, that brand is tarnished. Now that you know, and so they're in the business of trying to re-shine it. Um, But there is a tarnishing of the brand, and we'll see what they're what they're able to do with it. But I I think that uh, uh, the uh, uh, supreme leader of Iran's uh, homily today is directed both to that and domestic audience and some. I can't quantify how real the threats are to the to the regime from the demonstrations, but in any event, anti anti regime demonstrations, uh, but also I think to the regional audience uh, to say Iran is is still a powerful country. If Iran could really have delivered a slap to the United States, I think it would have done so. I think he knows they can't, uh, but that's not to say that there cannot be a um, an asymmetric response that hurts. Okay, Dean Feinstein.
1: Any anything to add to that? No, just to just to clarify.
4: I think what I said about Iran was that it didn't want a war with the United States, but absolutely correct um, uh, for, uh, to Professor Estrabati's point that there. And as I as I said earlier, the importance of um, understanding that this is a, this is a pause, not a standing down, and that there are lots of different ways in which Iran can and probably will uh, respond, and that and that's. That's, uh, that's what we have to manage and try to try to uh, deter.
1: We will take your questions if you want to give us a call at 812 811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions at news at George?
5: Yes. So how how is um, Faisal's uh, – sorry, Mr. uh, Faisal. Faisal, how is uh, – Fine.
2: His name is Fine. (laughs) (laughs)
5: Cost some Soleimani's death – I've been called (laughs) worse. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Going to affect uh, Iran's influence over some of its allies in the Middle East, like Syria. Um, Do you think that they're concerned that he's gone or was he more of just a figurehead?
2: Uh, He certainly was much more than a figurehead. Um, So he's between being a figurehead – and, and what the president said, which this is bigger than taking out Osama bin Laden, this is bigger than taking out Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the head of the so-called Islamic State in Iraq and the Levant, which was the claim the president made. Uh, neither one of those two statements, I think, are true. So he's much more than a figurehead. He has been, I mean, he's been, he has been running Iraq policy for the, for, uh, for the Iranian government, I, and I think he's been running Syria and Lebanon policy for them as well, as opposed to, say, having it being run out of the, um, the foreign ministry. Incidentally, the foreign minister of Iran and I are acquainted with one another. We were at the United Nations at the same time. Uh, obviously, I was representing Iraq. He was representing Iran. In any case, um, but but we knew that the foreign minister of Iran was not running Iraq policy. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's. Uh, but on the other hand, Iran is not a is not a terrorist organization. Iran is a state, and what he, and he was executing state policy, um, and he may have been particularly good at it. Uh, from their perspective, but he was repre- but, but he was executing state policy, and that state policy is unlikely to change because he 's not there. His replacement was uh, appointed immediately, uh, the policies are likely to to continue. The question is, are his successors, whether this particular successor lasts or not, will his successors be as capable as he was? That remains to be seen
1: we really haven 't talked a lot about the shooting down of the of the uh, Ukrainian airliner what you know I, I think you talked a little bit about how there's a lot of anger and that that wasn't brought up th- this morning um except the anger was was there you know wh- what should happen next on that i mean iran has admitted that it did it it was a mistake so what do the people want from the government now
3: yeah, I think the shooting down of the airliner is a very, and the way it was handled uh, is a classic case study in not ever overestimating the ability of authoritarian regimes to undermine themselves, um, as the Iranian government did, or underestimating, I should say. Um, it took them three days to admit that this was a mistake that they made, and embarrassingly so, it came after the United States first adamantly came forward, President Trump did in his speech um, uh, to the nation saying that we think it was a mistake, meaning that we are happy to de-escalate and we understand you guys didn't have your affairs in order. And then other uh, uh, European allies and other countries in the region reiterating that. That was deeply embarrassing for the Iranians to take their time and then finding that everyone uh, basically knew their air defenses better than they seem to have. So it was both a demonstration of incompetence, but also on their part, um, chicanery and malevolence, and the public um, immediately uh, was outraged by why the government uh, would not admit um, uh, to this right away, but also by really failing to identify with the victims and their families until much later in the game. The Canadian government, um, the Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Um, uh, uh, is now beloved in Iran because of the level of compassion that he's shown, uh, because of his remorse, because of him showing at a vigil in Ottawa that uh, he held for the victims of the flight. None of these things happened by Iranian officials inside Iran. And in fact, to the extent that since then they have taken responsibility for it, there's this asterisk, rather giant asterisk attached to it, that this happened because of the United States killing of Hassan Soleimani. Um, uh, which uh, further angers the Iranians because, well, yes, those two events are close um, together. But at the same time, you could, if you admit it to the mistake um, and you handled it correctly after the fact – um, then uh, you would show more uh, uh, respect and dignity towards your own people. Uh, and so the, they, they lost whatever upper hand they had in the aftermath. And now the narrative has changed back to them and what this government is fundamentally about, which is about um, uh, uh, really doubling down uh, on its ideological mission, uh, exploiting Qas Soleimani's um, assassination and exploiting the um, anger uh, uh, against uh, 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 it by by its public for its own purposes to uh, 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 to further uh, project its policy in the region again.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Dean Feinstein, you talked about um, the fact that that you know where do we go next, and that's you know that's sort of what happens after all of this. So do you have any uh, do you have a crystal ball? Can you make some suggestions for for what should happen next?
4: Uh, well, uh, sure. I mean, I think um, uh, w- w- we're all in agreement. We need we need to de-escalate, and um, we need to get back to uh, diplomacy, uh, which is not going to be easy, even if that were the desire of uh, the uh, U.S. president, which um, w- which which is unclear. Uh, at this time,
1: can, can I kind of just yeah. ask how unusual is it for a president to say, "Well, you know we just launched this attack and we took out this high level person in this government. How unusual is it for that to happen?
4: Well, look, there have been targeted killings uh, in the previous administration, and this is not uh, a, a, a new policy, but a, a, a new act for American presidents in this era of imperial presidencies, but um, what was uh, uh, particularly unusual about this was uh, the decision to take action against uh, someone of this uh, significance who was a sitting government official and to do it without any clear um, understanding of why now and without any and if there was information, and maybe there is information that there was an imminent attack and that the decision to take out Suleimani prevented it. But if there is such information available, it needs to be presented. And it hasn't been uh, presented uh, yet. And so that is very unusual. The lack of uh, consultation with allies, if not in advance, uh, um, uh immediately after the fact is also uh, highly uh, unusual. And this has also uh, complicated the security situation for the United States, uh, having to reinforce on very short notice uh, its troops uh, in Iraq and, and basically converting overnight the mission of uh, American troops in Iraq to almost entirely a, a force uh, protection mission. Mm-hmm. So the, the lack of consultation with Congress, the lack of consultation with uh, allies, uh, the disinterest in trying to explain what the rationale was or the legal basis, these things are very unusual. Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: The the, the other unusual aspect of this, of course, is that it was done in a third country uh, of an allied government, uh, Iraq. And the consequence of that has been that uh, the parliament of Iraq has passed a resolution mandating the government of Iraq to set a timetable for the withdrawal of American forces from Iraq. Uh, the prime minister of Iraq has already informed the American ambassador in Baghdad that U.S. forces need to leave. The president and the secretary of state are saying, no, we won't go, which is not a position the United States wants to be in, saying publicly at places that it had sent troops to pursuant to a request from a host government once we're here you can't tell us to leave um, and uh, whereas demonstrators th- for three months have been chanting on the streets of Baghdad's mostly Shia cities in Baghdad and southern Iraq, Iran out out, at least some of those demonstrators began saying they want both Iran and the United States out So this is why I said earlier what was the strategic advantage to the United States of acting now Um, and it has every possibility of sort of being an own goal as they say in soccer much as the – with respect to the United States, much as the response of the Iranian government to the shoot down of the the, uh, airliner seems to have been an own goal. That's
3: right. And uh, just to add to this – All of this stems from the fact that there is no coherent Iran policy coming out of Washington. I mean I can't emphasize this enough. No one understands what this administration's strategy is except to cancel what the previous administration had achieved on Iran. It's remarkable that they've gone to the lengths of – Putting policy prescriptions out there toward a, a, a strategy that doesn't seem to exist; those prescriptions being maximum pressure on on er, Iran and also on the European allies, because those are the countries that were um, handling uh, 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 Iran's uh, opening to the uh, global community, as it were. Um, this administration has seemed very clear on its antipathies towards Iran and a nuclear deal. It has been less clear as to what prescriptions that it has employed will eventually lead to. And it hasn't articulated that. And every subsequent action we see is really a symptom of a lack of a coherent policy agenda regarding a country that really is at the center of American national interests in the region right now. You have to have a sound policy If you would like to keep your allies in the region happy, if you want to nourish the government of Iraq and your allies in the region toward Iran, you need to have a coherent policy as to how the Iranians can be helpful in the fight against ISIS, in stabilizing Afghanistan, in stabilizing Iraq, et cetera. And this administration came in having this nuclear deal in place, and it threw it out and opened this Pandora's box that on a weekly basis we're trying to figure out where it would lead us to. We just have two minutes
1: to go, so I want to go back to that question about what, what next. And I, uh, Dean Feinstein was, was starting to answer that, and then I threw in that other question about the president in there. So... 30 seconds, 40 seconds, uh, that you could solve this issue about what, what we're supposed to do next? N- uh, no.
4: <laughs> but but um, I, 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 do, I do think, as we were saying before, I think we need to try, uh, as difficult and unlikely as it is to be successful, I think we have to try to prevent the uh, nuclear deal with Iran from unraveling entirely. There have been some very serious steps that Iran has taken, but it hasn't taken these very fateful steps of uh, kicking out inspectors and uh, uh, withdrawing from its uh, uh, commitments not to pursue the nuclear option under the Nuclear Nonproliferation Treaty. So I think we need to at least preserve that and work with the Europeans who are desperate to keep this agreement in some kind of shape uh, on some uh, some kind of an effort to build back some kind of an agreement. We've got to work with our uh, Iraqi partners and repair relations uh, there. Uh, they may, Maybe one option is um, presence without stationing, to use an old phrase. Uh, there, there might be some ways to, to address that. And, you know, there was a time not too long ago where we did have some cooperation with Iran on Afghanistan, for example. And so that seems very unlikely at this time, but we need to get uh, – On a path in that direction. And, you know, just in general, we've got lots of things on our foreign policy plate, but the Middle East still matters. Uh, It's not the top thing, but it matters. We're energy self sufficient now, but we're not energy independent, and the future of global economies and the stability of uh, our friends around the world uh, depend very much on uh, a stable. Middle East.
1: Okay, and with that, we are out of time. I (laughs) want to thank our three guests today, all from the Indiana School of Global and International Studies, um, Global and International Affairs, so Faisal Istrabadi, Hussein Benai, and Dean Lee Lee Feinstein. Uh, For George Hale, my co-host, for Mike Pashkash, the engineer, and Bento Boutier, the producer, I'm Bob Zoltzberg. Thanks for listening.
0: Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at Smithville.com. And from The Herald Times, featuring coverage of local news, entertainment, and sports. In print at heraldtimesonline.com and on your mobile device. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation. Improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.